Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent guests who've appeared on JM in the AM. Yehuda Geberer, Jewish History Soundbites, was a recent guest. Very interesting conversation. Here it is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, well, uh, we be, we've become familiar over the last few months with something called Jewish History Soundbites. Uh, Jewish History Soundbites. It's led by a gentleman named Yehuda Geberer, who's described as a tour guide at Jewish History Tours with Yehuda Geberer. And um, and uh, during this time, we, we've always had this um, notion of inviting him on the air and discussing what he does. Uh, but once the trend of destroying history really became popular over the last six weeks or so in the U.S. and other parts of the world, uh, once once this whole attitude came back uh, to humanity uh, and uh, it became something that was at the forefront, and hopefully I could say was and that it not still is, but anyway, it was at the forefront of uh, so many people's minds destroying one's history and not looking back. I thought, you know what, this is a good time to talk about Jewish history and its importance. Uh, as it says on his website, YehudaGeberer.com, yesterday's story is today's identity and tomorrow's destiny. Now, I don't know whose quote that is, but boy, does that sum up uh, the attitude we should have uh, even these days when we view Jewish history or anyone's history. Yehuda Geberer is speaking to us from his home in Israel. Yehuda, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. How did this all start? You know, this might be an unusual way to begin the conversation, but I'm so curious. Um, do you mind if I ask you uh, the type of educational institutions you attended as a youngster? I'm trying to get a perspective on uh, on how you developed such a love and interest in Jewish history. Um, I was in the uh, Mir Yeshiva for many years, which... Uh Proud, proud alumnus of uh, of the Mir. And you mean that? And when you, and, oh, in Yerushalayim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, I live here. My family right. lives here. Right. And um, um, that's that's where I was for many years, right. uh, both when I was single and married. And uh, my interest in history was totally on my own. It was a hobby, and that developed over time. Right. I mean, the the, the majority, I would think, I think this would be an accurate statement. The majority of Jewish educational institutions in this country, and I'm talking about religious institutions, uh, and likely in Israel, I, I, w- I would think pay very little attention. Would that be fair to say? Very little attention to the pursuit of Jewish history? Yeah, that would be fair. That would be a fair assessment to say. Yeah. Yes, that's what I was saying. I, I, it was on my own, uh, something that I always liked and developed over time. And then uh, in the recent years, I decided to uh, make it uh, something more real, you know, with the, the podcast and the trips. And today it's not real tours, it's virtual tours, but uh, it's still there. And, and it's just using uh, what I've always been doing on my own as a hobby into making it something real and relatable to everyone and exciting, interesting, <laughs> any other adjective that you can uh, add to that, because it's, it's all that and, the, and, the, and a lot more. Yehuda Geberer is with us live via telephone. By the way, you're, you're breaking up, so whatever area of your home you could go to where you have the best phone reception, uh, that would be very helpful. Why has your um, collection of podcasts 
and your Twitter feed, in your opinion, become so popular? Um, it's, it's hard to know. What I, what I do sense from the feedback that I've been getting from lots of listeners and, uh, and of course, on the social media feedback is that there's a, a real thirst out there, um, something that was beyond any of my expectations when I initially started it up. Um, people want to know. Uh, people want to connect to their past, and it's interesting to them. And uh, and uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a, you know, a lot of knowledgeable listeners out there who are who have a lot to add and a lot to say, and it generates a lot of interest because um, it's just something that it's a, it's a void that needed to be filled. There's very few out there who are doing it, and whoever's doing it is doing a great job. I'm not the only one. Um, and, uh, and, and it just took off uh, beyond, well beyond any of the expectations I had initially when we got it off the ground. And, th- and does that indicate to you, I mean, I, I guess it's obvious uh, that, that there is a thirst for the information that you're giving, um, uh, but does it also indicate or did you, did you learn from this experience that the void that I described earlier regarding the topic of Jewish history in our community um, it, it is one that's desperately um, needed or wanted to be filled? Is it something that you think, uh, you know, that there's a major uh, a push among people uh, to, to um, fill that void? Or is this really a very specific small group in our community that you're communicating with? It's a good question. It's hard to know. I think that we have a good data set. Uh, there's a lot of people who are tuning in and listening in, and uh, have done a lot of trips with a very diverse, uh, um, you know, religious Jewish population, both from Israel and uh, the United States and other places. And uh, it, it seems that I don't know if it's desperate. And I definitely don't work in education. I work in history, so it's I can't say what the educational system is like or should be like. Right. Um, but it seems like people are interested, and they they want to know, they want to hear, um, and there there's definitely a thirst. And uh, people, some people are well read, and very 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 often you'll find people who want to be well read. So there's definitely uh, a large large group out there, a uh, percentage of the population of all ages and backgrounds who are very excited and interested in this topic. Yehuda Geberer is with us from Israel. You could literally go to YehudaGeberer.com, Y-E-H-U-D-A-G-E-B-E-R-E-R.com, and see everything that we're talking about today, including the podcast information and the virtual tour information. Also on uh, Twitter, it's Jewish History Soundbites, which officially is at J, that's letter J, at J Soundbites. You could find him on Twitter. Uh, it says on your website, the quote is, yesterday's story is today's identity and tomorrow's destiny. So way before uh, cancel culture and way before the effort uh, in many countries to, uh, to uh, throw down and deface statues, it seems just based on that quote, you have, you've always understood the importance of looking back and how much of an effect that looking back has on what we are today and what we will be tomorrow. Definitely. Definitely my belief. And uh, anyone who participates in the uh, tours, again, and back in the in regular times live or now virtual, sees that. Uh, you see that in the, in the, uh, in the listeners on the podcast, you, the connection that you have and that you attain. And um, it's something that becomes real, becomes part of your identity. And and um, it makes makes you feel you know more comfortable with who you are, understanding what our destiny is, 
and it's actually my quote you asked before at the beginning right who the quote is um it is <laughs> i spent a lot of time on that trying to come up with the yeah. uh, perfect i got it synopsis. i got it for someone like me who loves the three-part quote i i may just have to steal this one it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that in mind, with what you just said in mind, now to really put you on the spot, you did comment that you have no comment regarding the curriculum in our yeshivas and schools, and I respect that. That's not your department, and uh, you're not on that soapbox to uh, to discuss it or to uh, proclaim anything. Uh, but but nonetheless, would it would you go as far as to say when a yeshiva guy, a guy who's 20, 25 years old, who fears that when he listens to a sports podcast, for instance, that he's wasting time, He's doing something that's ill-advised because, you know, it's not what he should be doing. He should be using his spare time in a much more productive Jewish way, especially for those who are surrounded all day by the study of Torah. Uh, Would you go as far as to say to him, because of the destiny and identity issue, that if he'd be listening to a podcast like this, like yours in his spare time, he would not be wasting time? Um, I think that would be pompous of me to say that uh, that you know my podcast is not wasting people's time. Well, any Jewish, <laughs> any Jewish history. I think, I think it's interesting and I think it's valuable. Um, it's just obviously my you know subjective uh, biased opinion. Um, but it, I, I, I guess judging from the feedback from people, and we get a lot of feedback, and uh, it's not a waste of time for people. They enjoy it. It's it and adds depth and value to their lives to discussions, to thoughts, to uh, identity. And, uh, you know, I can't say it's better than sports. Uh, like yeah, that too, I, I, but... get, I, I get that. But my point being, of course, that <laughs> my, my point, to bring it back to my point, uh, my point being that if somebody goes ahead, uh, if someone rather, you know, spends the majority of their day in a very insulated world of academia, even their academic world is very insulated. And that, of course, is, is, is prevalent in our community. Um, if, in fact, we're going to, uh, to insist that people's identity and destiny are vital and important, it, it, it might be, and again, I, I'm not looking for you to, you know, to, to um, promote your own podcast as the best Jewish history one out there, but it might be a good idea for people like us to suggest to those young people that a, Jew, that a quality Jewish history podcast is of value. How's that? Definitely. Can I put it that definitely, way? Definitely, <laughs> definitely has value. You definitely should check it out. We're available on all the uh, on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, all the regular podcast uh, platforms, and and it and it's definitely something that that uh, I think uh, I think uh, the great listeners of of uh, your show would uh, would appreciate and and uh, and find interest in. It's also you know leaving aside the value and the identity, which I which I wouldn't leave aside. It's important, but I think it's also exciting and it's entertaining, and it's interesting. It's fun. Um, so that that also is something. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of rabbis, communal leaders, a lot of big people out there who are listening to it, and and it's it's, it's something that um, you know a lot of the cream of the Jewish people right now is listening to. If I might say so. You know, you're able to again from the feedback, we're able to see how, you know who is listening and 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 stuff like that. So there's definitely a lot of people people out there find a great interest in it and value to it and we're pretty proud of that we're you know I'm, I'm very excited that people are getting an interest in it and um, 
it's not just the podcast; it's the tours, and, and like, you know, I also have a uh, um, a an art and the column in the Mishpacha magazine, which is pretty popular. So it, it's in in various different platforms um, that people are uh, taking an interest in in modern Jewish history of late. Uh, so um, and it's not limited. Like I said, like I'm saying, it's people like to read it uh, in Mishpacha. They like to listen to it on the podcast. They like to participate in it on tours, virtual tours, uh, and real tours, and uh, in all ways and shapes and forms. Uh, you know, it's an enjoyable experience. Um, Jewish, and I assume on all of the platforms you just mentioned, all people have to do is search Jewish history sound bites. Yes, yes. The virtual tours is something new because um, uh, it's uh, you know because of the whole uh, virus situation. They can't right. really travel. To no, Europe but I mean, anymore, I mean, so I, doing... I mean, on the podcast platforms, all they have to do is search Jewish history sound bites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. What are the regular tours like? You know what? Before we even before I even ask you that, are you are you self taught? All the information you have. I mean, do you have a rebbe in Jewish history, or you basically just kept reading and reading and reading and watching important videos, and you and you've gotten to this point? Um, a lot, of, a lot of it on my own. Um, you know, a lot of it uh, I've gotten from many others, mentors, and. You know, I'm, I'm very close with Rabbi Wine, for instance, and uh, I've spoken to many other people in the field, big people in the field. I've gotten guidance from them, and uh, I do study it in in, a, in, a, in an academic capacity also, and just lately. And and uh, you, you build on, you basically, you know, you try to build on what you have on your own, and you try to add to it. If you can't learn from others, you're never going to get anywhere. So you got to be able to uh, always be seeking out others, the great, you know, scholars and wise people out there in the field who know a lot more and have many much much more experience and see what you can gain from them in knowledge and methodology and approach and analysis and everything else that's uh, important to to the field to be able to give it over to the others in, in an effective way um oh, so now i will ask you what are the general tours like forget about covid for a moment i mean what do you do you travel with people in groups to different places where have you been you know, go all over Europe. Um, you know, main, primarily, obviously, Eastern Europe. Um, but it's a, you know, literally uh, going in the footsteps of the past, going to ancient communities and shuls and uh, yeshivas and kivrei tzaddikim and uh, other sites related to the Holocaust, related to any aspect of uh, Jewish history, whether it's in Poland or Lithuania or Ukraine or Hungary or Germany or Czechoslovakia, Austria, anywhere where there's prominent Jewish communities in uh, in Europe or other places, and do similar stuff in Israel of uh, modern Jewish history uh, the last uh, 500 years or so, and uh, and we go you know go from place to place, seeing it and absorbing it and letting really letting the place itself talk uh, and and, let, and tell us their story. Um, and I just try to enable that for the group, uh, either it's family groups or or educational groups or um, shuls, is all different types of uh, ages and backgrounds uh, that people like to get together and, and form a group to be able to um, uh, to be able to go, go go and be part of the Jewish history revolution. Uh, you know, I also work at Yad Vashem, so in that capacity, like I mentioned about the Holocaust sites in Europe, so I you know do that in Israel as well. Of course, that's also closed now. As right. Also, but. Um, you know, so 
that uh, that's that's basically the tours. So they now in, in recent times. So since I can't get to Europe, and since groups can't come, so we do virtual tours in Israel, um, which you know is pretty popular. So we're investing in you know you can't visit Israel, so we bring Israel to you. Um, we go with the live tours, you know, walking tours of neighborhoods and old place, uh, you know, places that have uh, you know behind the facade of uh, places that we may be even familiar with uh, in uh, on our visits to Israel. But the, there's like an exciting and interesting story behind uh, behind the behind the stones and um and uh, that that's that's also picking up, and of course uh, the podcast is uh, prime. You know the, that, that that that's not limited to COVID and or any virus. There's not, no 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 world can stop that. Where we launched uh, recently a series uh, on great American Jewish cities. Um, you know, a lot of times we focus on European Jewish history, but American Jewish history is is very fascinating and uh, uh, as well. And we go every week. We examine another city. Um, uh, we've, gone, we've gone through quite a few cities. We just did a foray into the south this week, and Charleston, Savannah, and Memphis. And the previous weeks we've done Seattle and Pittsburgh and, you know, Montreal or wherever, and we have a lot more cities coming up. So, you know, that seems to be very popular. People like hearing about um, how the American Jewish community developed over time. And, uh, and of course, the Siegel family has a big part in that. And in Newark, you know, maybe we'll get to that one day, too. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, that's uh, that's uh, it, it, it's all around. It's literally an endless and, like I said, it's a Jewish history revolution. It's something that it's uh, very often not explored enough, and there seems to be quite an interest in it. Yeah, and we need it now more than ever. By the way, folks, you can go on Twitter. Um, you could follow Yehuda Geber Jewish History Soundbites. Officially, it's at J letter J Soundbites Jewish History Soundbites. Again, it's at J Soundbites. Also, the website has all the information. YehudaGeberer.com, Y-E-H-U-D-A-G-E-B-E-R-E-R.com. You know, one of the things that caught our attention, I mean, there are a lot of people involved in Jewish history who, frankly, we could interview and speak to on this show, uh, but one of the things that um, caught our attention is that colleagues of yours insist uh, that while many, and this is no secret, while many try to tilt Jewish history in a certain direction for political reasons, for the benefit of certain communities, etc. It's not It's not a secret, obviously. Um, the, the reputation you have is that even if something is going to ruffle some feathers, if it's accurate, if it's true, if it's fact, you want to make sure it's out there. Would that be a, an accurate way of portraying the way you approach things? Um, in general, yes. Um, it, 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 it's not. It's, it's hard to sell something that's not accurate, and it's hard to connect with something that's not accurate. And we have to absorb the whole truth because everything of our past. And uh, you know, I don't want to get too into psychology here because I don't know any. Um, <laughs> with, you know, everything that uh, that forms uh, it's part of your a component of your existence, of your past, of of your collective story is uh, together makes who you are. And we can't only focus on uh, on one aspect or another. So in general. That's the idea, um, but um, but uh, you know at the same time the the idea is also not uh, not you know you don't want to be offensive to anyone. Sometimes there's no point in in bringing up something if it's just going to offend people. I also have kids that I need to marry off eventually, and uh, I have a family, and you know so you're, I, you don't, you don't want to get in trouble. 
you don't want to ruffle feathers too much. You don't want to offend anyone. So you're really constantly walking a tightrope, and I hope to always do so. Um, you see, you, want to, you don't want to veer too much in either direction and keep things stable and interesting at the same time and true. And uh, truth is always the, the ultimate goal. Wow, I'll tell you, yeah, you basically just did in that sentence what we just described you as uh, trying to do and make it. You're you were you were very honest to say the least in that assessment. Uh, that uh, you you don't mind ruffling feathers, but you also uh, have a have a guarded situation when uh, when when you know that common sense needs to prevail. I think I, I think that would be a proper way of putting yeah. it. Um, yeah. Well, you do some interesting things. I'll tell you is, who. Who um, is there anyone specific when it comes time to research a specific city in the U.S.? Is it, are, do you again go to some of the sources you just mentioned, or are there specific sources that are local that you would either go to or read about? Like uh, you know, when it comes time to to learn about Savannah and Atlanta and Seattle, how does that work? So very often, also a good question about how to how to deal with sources. Uh, very often. Um, so again, like in the city series, you'll wanna, you'll wanna, in each locality, you wanna, in, in each, uh, in each city, you'll wanna find people who are either historic families or people who have researched or written about it and try to see what they've either written or maybe even talk to them or email them and see what sources they have available and what they're willing to share, people who might have family stories. Um, that's in, in, in the city series. When it comes to certain subjects, um, you know, I, recently we did a, a series on the yeshiva in Valajan um, and development of the yeshiva movement. So, you know, th there's always certain go-to people for any subject. And, and you want to find the expert, the best people of that subject. You want to get see what they've written um, and, and, and use them because uh, every person has their expertise. expertise. History is a science uh, like, not exactly like any other science. It's not an exact science, but it's, it's like many other fields in that, that uh, it's very, very specific. And every person has their expertise. And, and, and you, you go from, from source to source as you go along in your journey. And, and you try to utilize whatever what every uh, what source and person and uh, professional and and uh, and or non-professional has to offer in that in that sphere. Right. Wow. Well, it's certainly a good approach, that's for sure. Uh, Yehuda Geberer, he's our guest. Uh, you can check him out. Um, uh, Jewish History Soundbites on Twitter. Uh, all the information you need is on the website yehudageberer.com. Y e h u d a g e b e r e r dot com, uh, and as I said, in a, an environment that we are in now, where people of all backgrounds, uh, not just certain backgrounds, but all backgrounds around the world, uh, want to eliminate history, now is the time to. Uh, we have to utilize this opportunity to really step things up for parents to convince uh, uh, children, for grandparents to convince children and grandchildren, and for all of us in the field of ed those of us who are in the field of education to really focus on the importance of Jewish history, both from uh, uh, from uh, years ago and centuries ago and modern day as well. And I hope this conversation has convinced a lot of people in positions to have influence in this area to go ahead and do so. Uh, Yehuda, I hope we get to speak down the line. Continue your amazing work, and I, uh, I, I'm really uh, I'm happy that so many people around the world are taking advantage of your service. Thank you very much. A pleasure. YehudaGeberer.com. Jewish History Soundbites, at Letter J Soundbites on Twitter. Check it out, everybody. Let's spread the word and get more and more people focused on good, true, factual, important Jewish history from every era 
in the history of our people. As Yehuda says, yesterday's story is today's identity and tomorrow's destiny. If only the rest of the world understood that. Thursday morning broadcast. More coming up at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Yehuda Geber of Jewish History Soundbites here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, coming up next, Dr. Norman Blumenthal. He spoke to us about COVID-19 and the summer months, specifically regarding children in our families. Norman Blumenthal, a recent guest on JM the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Wednesday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Um, well, our friends at OHEL who are always, I mean, we've, we've been telling you for 35 years, no exaggeration <laughs> about the great work that OHEL's been doing. Literally, for 35 years I'm doing it uh, for good reason. Uh, they're one of the uh, star organizations of our community, really worldwide, uh, but obviously based in this area. Anyway, uh, during COVID-19, they have adjusted and pivoted and stepped up their game to help people in so many different ways. And one of the things that caught my eye was that both uh, Harriet Blank and our uh, upcoming guest, Dr. Norman, Norman Blumenthal, who's going to join me in a moment, are both presenting this coming Monday in a, in a TheraZoom session on the topic of coping with the inconsistent emergence from COVID restrictions. I mean, if inconsistent, I don't think you could come up with a better word than inconsistency when it comes to what's happening now uh, as COVID uh, continues and the fear of COVID continues. So I thought it was a great topic to um, uh, to bring up and discuss here at JM and the AM. Uh, he is OHEL's Director of Trauma and Crisis Response, in addition to hundreds of other titles that he holds. Dr. Norman Blumenthal, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I don't think inconsistency, I don't think there's a better word than inconsistency to uh, uh, describe what we're going through. The first inconsistency, frankly, that really troubled me uh, was when the governor of the state of New York uh, said there's going to be a uh, a group of seven eight, seven, eight governors who will coordinate so that restrictions, rules, openings will not be different one state from the next. And of course, what we've seen over the last few weeks is that uh, reopenings and phases and and decisions are completely different uh, one state from the next uh, in terms of the number of people outdoors, indoors, and so many other regulations. That was the first thing that got me. The second thing, frankly, that got me before we talk about uh, you know the inconsistencies as we emerge as we emerge from the restrictions is Dr. Blumenthal. You have to admit and agree as an observer of our you know full community. Uh, and you look at all the neighborhoods and all the communities, that some people in our community are behaving as if, and some communities in general are behaving as if COVID is never to return and life is basically back to normal, while others, like myself and many other families, groups, and organizations and neighborhoods, are, are behaving as if we are terrified of getting this dreaded disease. Uh, w wouldn't you say that within our community there seems to be a great inconsistency? I would agree. That certainly has been my observation. And if that's the case, then you know it, it makes it makes life in our greater community challenging, right? In terms of who's willing to go where and do what and and accept whose invitation to to be wherever they'd like to be, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, absolutely. And we are social beings. 
Yeah. So we want to socialize. We want to connect. And, of course, adds a further complication. Uh, so now tell me about Monday. Monday, you and Harriet Blank are going to be addressing this topic about the inconsistent emergence from COVID restrictions. Family and friends, as I just alluded to, is part of it. That I get. Right. But what about the greater picture first? What about all these news reports, restrictions that we hear about, we can't really decide or decipher which ones are serious and are going to be enforced and which ones government officials look the other way. What could you tell us about those? Well, uh, the way we get news and information has changed radically in recent years. Uh, it used to be that there were a handful of sources and most of, more probably more consistent than inconsistent with the advent of the Internet and social media we have a flood, a deluge of uh, news sources, informational sources, and we have to sort of sift through all of that. I think that's one of the skills that we have to develop is to learn, you know, which ones that are reliable and ones which ones aren't reliable and which ones do have a stated clear bias, which may have an unstated bias, and learn how to pick for ourselves what are the most reliable sources and recognize that. Uh, our neighbor may be relying on different sources. So part of it, as I said, is is, is uh, part of the times we live in. And, and by the way, it, with all the stress and anxiety we've had over the last 18 weeks, Chushan Purim was 18 weeks ago today, with all the stress and anxiety we've had over the last 18 weeks, what you just described only adds to the stress and anxiety. Absolutely. And another thing that adds to stress and anxiety is ambiguity. And the, the medical professionals, the experts themselves, readily admit that they don't really have a handle on this. Yeah. They're trying to, and they're working emphatically, and they are, they're researching and trying, but uh, they themselves are scratching their heads. By the way, and that, that engenders anxiety. By the way, another frustrating thing is that there are many people in our community with zero health and science background who do consider themselves expert on this topic. <laughs> that, that's also, that also leads to you know, some interesting conversations and encounters. Right. They're all psychologists as well. I was just the only <laughs> foolish enough to go to graduate school. So, yeah, you're, that's you're the, the problem. Only, you're the only one who paid for it. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Uh, Dr. Norman Blumenthal with us live via telephone. All right, so you know the key. The key is um, to try to lessen all this anxiety. Uh, a lot of people are still home. A lot of people are in very challenging employment situations. And now you have this, this big question mark of how and how quickly or slowly all this resurgence, reemergence is going to take place. How does one lessen their anxiety in this type of scenario? So in terms of the ambiguity, I think there are basically two approaches, and probably even more, but you, one has to pick the one that suits oneself. One is that we can look historically. None of us can look to the future. I like to quote the great theologian and philosopher Yogi Berra. He used to say predicting is very difficult, especially about the future. Um, it's, it's very, or the future ain't what it used to be. That's another one of my favorite <laughs> quotes. But, um, it's, you know, the, 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 it's very hard to predict. However, we can look historically, and historically in previous pandemics, there was a beginning and a middle and an end. So uh, there will be this if, if, if history is a reference point, this will be resolved at some point. The question is how long it will take and at what cost. But I think we can look at this as a temporary state, and I don't think we should see this as the rest of our lives. The other thing also that's a way of dealing with anxiety, if it suits you, is to surrender. I'm dealing with ambiguity and, anxiety and, and the attendant anxiety is to surrender to it. Uh, we don't know, and that's, for a religious person, that's something fairly familiar. 
you know, God runs the world. We're not in control. Despite our technology and all the advances we have made in science, we are not in charge. And to surrender to that is a very spiritual experience and will also, I think, ameliorate some of the anxiety and worry. You know, you know, before this COVID thing, even, even many of us faithful people thought we were in charge, or at least behaved like we were. Yes. Yeah. But I now- think so, because of we're, we have such uh, technology, as I said, and such advanced methods and means of controlling and understanding our surroundings. But here we, you know, here this little virus, and we can't see, has, has uh, really defeated us. You know, before, before I saw this Zoom event that you're having Monday, and I'll give everyone the information in a minute, uh, the reason I seriously the the reason I asked for you to come on this morning was because I believe even though not everybody agrees with me I believe these two months of July and August are a much bigger challenge for those families that are stuck at home and those kids who have no formal program than April May and June were what I mean what I mean is that and of course this is for those not going to day camp and not going to sleepaway camp uh, and what I mean is. There was always, toward the end of the school year, the last third of the school year, at least this aura of some type of program that the kids were part of. You know, there was always this thing over the family that, you know, that, they're, that, the, that the kids, no matter what age, were at least following a program, even though, unfortunately, it called for a lot of downtime during typical days. But at least they were part of a program that was still going on, obviously meaning, you know, the school day. When that ended, for families that are not, again, able to take advantage of camp, I think it's a, a lot much it, it's a, it's much more of a looser atmosphere and for a lot of families now July and August are going to prove to be much more of a challenge. Oh, I agree fully. It is more challenging because especially because this is a time when you do obviously outdoors, so I guess that helps a little bit, but where you where your your life is much more social and casual social interaction. And the other part that makes it very difficult is that if you the appearances that it's got, the appearances that uh, you know, we're, we're, all, we're out of danger, and yet the signs, many of the medical experts are telling us we're, that's far from true, at least here in the New York Tri-State area. Right. Obviously not in Florida and Arizona, California, but, um, and Israel, and, you know, but, but the, uh, the, the, since that, you know, we respond to what's immediately in our face and in our presence. And uh, so, therefore, there's that great temptation to get out there, to socialize, to interact in close proximity with others without restraints, and, and we don't see the devastation, the overcrowded emergency rooms that we had been seeing, uh, you know, two or three months ago. Well, you are right about the outdoors, and that does give a chance for you know kids and teens to run around at least. And the weather in this area has cooperated basically with that, so that is a plus. But I'll tell you on the other point, anybody who watched the news yesterday, anybody who's paying careful attention to yesterday's news, it is now really skeptical in the medical community of one who was infected can't be quickly reinfected. Those who've had antibodies, and many of them high numbers, are now being retested, and those numbers are much lower, and they're fearing that this thing could return you know, sooner, excuse me, sooner rather than later to those who've already suffered from it. So the, the ambiguity, as you say, the big question mark, the uncertainty, the uncertainty is so difficult to deal with. And, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be cute here or smart-alecky, but it sounds like your best advice is just hang in there. Whatever's worked so far in the last 18 weeks, keep doing it. If you know systems in your family and systems for your kids have worked over the last 18 weeks, keep implementing them as best as possible and, and otherwise try to just get as creative as possible because it doesn't sound like there's really m- many other options, frankly. 
Right. But I'm not, I'm not in a position to comment on it medically. Right. Uh, we have to rely on the infectious disease doctors and epidemiologists. But I think many of us do believe that there still is a threat and, we, and that we do have to be careful. And, you know, we have to sort of juggle how much risks we want to take. We do have a natural need to socialize. We have to go to work. We, the economy needs to be picked up. On the other hand, we have to get, and of course, the risks. You know, we're not dealing with uh, maybe losing a little money. We're dealing with medical well-being. And, and sometimes people say to me, well, not that many people are dying now. Those who've survived this illness have survived with a lot of medical complications afterwards and psychological ones. Yeah. Many suffer from uh, cognitive uh, deficits and uh, you know, high levels of anxiety and depression that are not warranted by what they went through, which gives us the impression that it also impacts on the central nervous system. So the, 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 you know, how, much, uh, how much are you willing to risk? And even if there's small chances, are you willing to do that for such dangerous and uh, debilitating medical conditions? Uh, you know, like I said, for many communities or neighborhoods within our greater community, days like Tisha B'Av, uh, the upcoming high holidays, will look similar to the way they have in past years. For many of us, it's obvious already that Tisha B'Av is going to be a very limited service if, in fact, there are public services or services open to the public, and we were already wondering what the high holidays are going to look like. Do you think that that, that could be detrimental to the overall psychology of the Jewish community if, in fact, you know what, what we expect and how we normally observe important days like those will be very different this year? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, first of all, it's part of our inner landscape. It's, by the way, how we sort of gauge ourselves <coughs> on the timeline. <coughs> the timeline about and high holidays in particular, and Tishabot really are part of that cycle. And religious observance is, um, is a, there's a rich body of literature in psychology. How much religious observance and spirituality it helps us cope with stress, and then when that's truncated and delimited, we're losing another way of coping during these very difficult times. But as you said also, by the way, I marvel at the creativity, yep. and, and I think some of the flexibility of, of many, many people and many segments of the community yep. that are trying to preserve as much as they can and try to keep in good spirits uh, during these very difficult times. Even, even, when that, uh, even when that creativity is really simple, you know, uh, regular hikes or walks or head to the mm-hmm. boardwalk or, you know, go on this little adventure. I mean, it, it's really parents are to be admired and the kids are to be admired for their resiliency but you've always told us that uh, thank god people of all ages are resilient just those in the other generations never acknowledge it but <laughs> that's right that's right you know like that's we, right. we we wonder how our grandparents, <laughs> we, we have to keep secrets from our grandparents <laughs> be, because of how they may react to certain bad news god forbid we we, we forget <clears throat> that they've lived life and they've had plenty of bad news they've dealt with for many, many decades. But anyway, that's a totally different topic. On Monday, do people sure. do people get a chance to interact with you through this, or is this uh, you and Harriet Blank uh, just presenting? How's it going to work on Monday? So what we have found to be most effective on these Zoom sessions, that we're, and through all we're doing a lot of them every week on different topics. We're right. identifying relevant topics plus groups. What we find works best, the personal depends on how, many, uh, how big the audience is. But what seems to work best is the chat option on Zoom. Right. Because first we have ah. the option to send just directly to the presenter, right? And also, you know, you can ask the question without interrupting what's being presented. So right. the presenters will, every once in a while, stop and check the chat 
plus the fact that some people can just send that they can send it either to the public or they can send it directly to the presenter and can right. even say in the, in the question um, I don't want to be identified or I don't want this question asked. Oh, what a great like, idea. Can you please address it. What a great so, idea. So, so little, literally use the chat uh, option and uh, and people can right. get, get their comments and questions in. Right, right, right. So that seems that seems to work best. And as I said, we make ourselves available besides in terms of the presentations. Our trauma team is fielding calls all day and having sessions with people who are experiencing undue stresses or challenges, and that's an option, and we make that uh, public during the presentation as well, in case somebody has a very more individual situation that they want to discuss with us. Not that their situation is any different than everyone else who's going through tough Who's going through tough Sometimes it is. No, but sometimes it is. Yeah, but I'm saying not that. Yeah. In in regard to in in regard to what I'm about to say, not that their situation is very different than others, and everyone needs sympathy and and help. But but you have got you you must have spoken with so many people over the last eighteen weeks who in some way were oh, on yeah. who in some way were on top of the world in whatever industry they were in, and then of course we know how many industries came completely crashing down. And now they find themselves in a situation they never dreamt that they'd be in. And again, not that I'm minimizing everyone else's situation. Everyone in some way is, is, is you know, suffering from, from all this that's happening. But it's just, you know, when, when, you, when you are contacted by people who you never dreamt you'd have to advise because, uh, you know, this type of thing has happened to them, it must be just mind-boggling to you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. People's lives were, were were put on hold, and people were anticipating promotions, anticipating getting degrees, completing degrees, um, and and suddenly they hit a cliff. What about and what it, it is very difficult? What yeah. about people who just bought businesses in February? I've heard from so many who just made sure. who made life changing decisions in the hopes that they were right. you know, that it would only enhance their families' lives, and then. And then, and then this happens. It's unbelievable. I'll tell you, God, God, yes, God, yes. God works in mysterious ways. I guess as a pers- <laughs> as a per- sure. as a person of faith, we can't forget that He's uh, supervising all of this, like He supervises right. all like He supervises all the good that we have in our lives. Um, inf- right. Information about Monday: the inconsistent emergence from COVID restrictions. The Zoom session with Dr. Norman Blumenthal and Harriet Blank. You go to olfamily.org. You'll check it out in the events section. You'll see it there. There are a lot of other events. Give me a word, by the way, on this, um, on what you're leading for girls, uh, for teenage girls starting on Tuesday, the 28th of July. Experience parental loss during COVID-19. I mean, that must be, I mean, obviously it's heartbreaking, but I mean, on top of the loss and how you'd be, had you'd be um, uh, turned to, to, you know, to address teens or anybody in a family who've had a loss, when you add in all the other factors of how sudden this was, how so many of the people they lost mm-hmm. were never sick before uh, with anything serious, uh, many of them didn't see their loved ones at the end, it must compound all of this advice so much. Oh, absolutely. And we're doing this together with Chai Forever. Um, and it is, uh, you know, we, we noticed that there were a number of teenagers. And, and one of the things we, we noticed from our more individual sessions with some of the adolescents was how lonely they feel because yeah. for the most part the, the, the most of their, their contemporaries have not they may have lost grandparents and not lost parents and as it is they're feeling lonely and, and, and wrenched apart so they're certainly feeling all the more so and doing this is going to be a group and sharing meeting other teenagers some people your age we're going through some experience, and you hit it on the nail also that one of the themes we heard in all the other groups we did uh, on parental loss was, you know, he walked into the, the into Hatzalah, uh, ambulance uh, 
basically maybe with some breathing problems, but she's looking and feeling fine. And the three weeks later, we hardly saw him, and then we get notification that, that he died. And th- this has complicated the grieving process. We were afraid that would happen, and, I'll t- and we have noticed that that does complicate it. And, yes. we, and we've discussed how many adults crave the shiva process for a lot, yes. of, te- for a lot of teens when they see and experience hundreds of their friends come to their home at a time like this to you know just share the experience with them the same friends they've had fun with on the ball field and you know in shul on shabbos and everything else and they come to be with them it it it, it could we could argue it's even more important for them and they of course didn't have sure. that must be so devastating have, right i'm sorry and then they have the added fear cuz now all their eggs are in one basket yeah and there's compounded worry about the surviving parent unbelievable i'll tell you so many people going through so much by the way, I noticed yeah. on the email I got from OHEL, there's a thing about a time capsule. Good idea for people to gather with their kids and put together a COVID time capsule so that 30 years from now they can revisit and see what life was like now? I think that's good. It's interesting. There's a body of research in psychology about family narratives. You know, what's the story of your family, your ancestors, et cetera? And back going into details, the most effective in terms of coping is what's called the oscillating narrative, which is a narrative that we went through a tough time, we got out of it, things are better, and then we went through a hard time, and then things got better, as a lesson to future generations, that there are hardships, but there are hardships that we survive and that we endure. So I think it's good for that. It's also good just to write and put down in words what you're going through. It's one of the strange things about trauma, but just expressing it, encapsulating it into words makes it more manageable. Also a good rain day creative project. Yes, that's true. Also. <laughs> which, right. which, which gets right. us, which gets us back to our first point, uh, Doctor right. Blumenthal. I can't thank you enough. You are out there for the community and in these public sessions, like the one Monday, and you're out there for so many people individually who are going through really difficult times. I can only imagine. Uh, uh, I can only imagine how less stressful people are because they get a chance to speak to you in these sessions and uh, on an individual basis. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, and thank you for keeping us all connected and informed. I appreciate that very much. Dr. Norman Blumenthal, OHEL's Director of Trauma and Crisis Response. Everything that I mentioned and that he mentioned in this conversation in terms of the events, um, completing your own time capsule, the uh, the parental loss during COVID-19 for teens, the uh, the therapy session or the TheraZoom on Monday night about the inconsistent emergence from COVID restrictions, all the information if you go to ohelfamily.org, again, that's ohelfamily.org, and uh, check it out. A lot of important stuff going on uh, coming uh, to the community from Ohel these days. Wednesday morning, JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Dr. Norman Blumenthal. His recent appearance, courtesy of our friends at Ohel, on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, that does it for JM Rewind. Plenty more coming up. Keep it here. Stay tuned all day long to NSN, to all of us here at the Malcolm Siegel Network.